Well, for all the people there at our London campus today or there in Somerset, Williamsburg, or Bell County, we're super glad that you're with us today. Uh, we're in the next to last weekend of our series called God Can't Do Anything. And if you haven't been tracking all the way through this series or you're new to this series, uh, I would encourage you to go online and check out the weeks that you may have missed because we've been talking about some really important things. Uh, if you're a guest of ours and you're wondering what this series is all about, uh, the idea behind this series is that God is not only great because of what he can do, uh, but God is also great because of what he can't do. It's good news to talk about all the things that God can do, uh, but it's also really good news to talk about and to think about all the things that God can't do. Uh, so with that being said, uh, today, uh, the content that we're going to talk about, it isn't for everyone. It, it may not be for you, or it may be just for you. But if you're here today and your life is all buttoned up, uh, if you are super spiritual, if your faith never wavers, uh, if your feet never stray, uh, if your eyes never wander, if your thoughts are always squeaky clean, um, if you seldom step out of bounds or color outside the lines, if you're better than and holier than most people, if that's you, uh, then unfortunately today isn't for you. But if you're here and you struggle, if you fumble your faith from time to time, if your life is a bit messy or a lot messy, if you get frustrated because you're inconsistent, one day you're doing great, the next day not so great, one week you're killing it, and then the next week you're just a disaster. If that's you, if you struggle with inconsistency, if you doubt, if you can sin without a whole lot of effort, uh, if you're part saint and part scoundrel, if spirituality doesn't come easy to you, if you don't feel very holy or very Christian a lot of the time, and if you're not very good at being good, then today is for you. Today is for me. Um, so with that being said, I want to tell you about something I read uh, a little while back, and it stopped me in my tracks. Um, it's stayed with me ever since, and I think about it often because I found it to be absolutely true on my journey of faith, and perhaps uh, you will find it to be true about your journey of faith as well. And, and this was the statement that I read. Sometimes it is easier to believe in God than it is to believe that God believes in you. Now, I just want you to, to think about that, and I, I want to read it again, and I, I want you just to let this sink in for just a moment. Sometimes it is easier to believe in God than it is to believe that God believes in you. Now, I can relate to this, and I'm sure that probably many of you can relate to this as well. Uh, for whatever reason, we find belief in God, uh, belief in miracles, and, and even belief in the impossible uh, oftentimes easier to grasp than the idea uh, that God believes in us. Sometimes it's easier for us to believe that God exists, to believe that miracles are possible, to believe that the impossible can be possible. Uh, sometimes it's easier for us to grasp those ideas and to believe in those ideas than it is to actually believe that God believes 
in me or that God believes in you or God believes in us, uh, that God is for us, that God is confident in our future, that God believes in us in a way that is optimistic and positive and not something that's just negative and pessimistic. Uh, it's easier sometimes to believe in God than it is to believe that God believes in us. Um, it's been my experience and it's my belief that too many Christians, and, and maybe you're one of them, um, they walk around with a significantly lesser view of themselves than what God has of them. Uh, they walk around more critical of themselves than God is critical of them. They look in the mirror and they feel worse about themselves than how God feels about them. And, and the older that I get and the more people that I talk to and the more Christians that I know, I'm convinced more than ever that many of us, especially in Appalachia, especially in Kentucky, especially in the Bible Belt, many of us were raised with a less than healthy version of Christianity. Uh, many of us, we were unfortunately trained, uh, we were unfortunately discipled, either explicitly or implicitly. Uh, we were taught, we were trained to fixate on our failures. That's, that's how many of us were raised in the church. And it seemed like everybody, you know, that were, you know, was talking about their faith, they were just fixated on their failures. And everybody was just talking about, you know, how short they were coming up in life and how many times they failed God that week. And, and we were just trained. We were just, you know, discipled to think about our failures. So we were trained to fixate on our failures, uh, to loathe our limitations, to think about, you know, what we can't do or what we haven't done. Uh, Many of us, we have spent so much of our faith journeys feeling unworthy, um, like we're not worth it, that God is, you know, in some way just uh, we are, you know, part of God's pity exercise in this life that God just pities us and God is just, you know, he, he looks at us with such disgust and such disappointment. And so we go through our lives and we feel unworthy. Uh, we spend so much of our time regretting our past. Um, we fixate on those failures and, and we loathe all the things that we've done wrong. And, and we think about those things, we rehearse those things and we revisit them over and over again. I guarantee you, many of you, many of you have asked God to forgive you for the same sins uh, over and over again, sins that you may have committed 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And, and we just constantly go back and we regret our past. We live in the present, fearing God's disapproval, questioning God's love. Can God still love me? Will God still love me? I, I don't feel like God could love me after this. You know, we, we spend so much of our time uh, living our faith out, magnifying our sin, while minimizing God's grace. We, we play up our sin, we play up our failure, we make it so big and so magnanimous, and at the same time, we minimize God's grace. Uh, we spend so much time mourning our failures uh, that we are not left with very much time to celebrate God's forgiveness. So we think more about our failures than we do actually God's forgiveness for those failures. Uh, we spend so much time obsessing about our missteps, uh, whether it be in the past or whether it be in this current present season of our lives, and we fail to rest in God's mercy. So as we think about our sin and as we think about our failures and as we think about our missteps, we miss the opportunity to, opportunity to rest in God's love, to rest in God's mercy, to rest in God's forgiveness. And, and so then we're left living a life of faith that even though the scriptures call us conquerors, um, a lot of Christians just walk around and they feel like, 
losers. They feel defeated. They feel like failures. But yet the scripture says you're more than conquerors. You're actually victors. You have already received the victory that Christ won the victory and he has shared that victory with you. But even though the scriptures call us conquerors and even though the scriptures call us victors, we walk around feeling like losers. We feel chronically defeated. Um, We're called sons and daughters in the scripture. Uh, We're told that we're part of the family of God, yet we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we fit in because we spend all of our time fixated on our failures, thinking about our limitations, regretting our past, minimizing God's grace, minimizing his mercy and magnifying our sin and our failure. So we fear God's love being depleted. We feel, you know, we fear frustrating God's love or trying his patience to the point where he's, he's finished with us, he's done with us. Um, we worry about exhausting God's grace or depleting pleading his mercy. Uh, So we spend our time living in limbo rather than security. Uh, We always, you know, many times just find ourselves wondering about where we are with God. Are are me and God good? Are we not good? You know, are we on good ground or bad ground? You know, so we live in limbo. We don't live in security. We we live feeling defeated rather than feeling victorious. Uh, We look in the mirror and, and here's what I think for many of us, we confuse how we feel about ourselves. Uh, we assume how we feel about ourselves is how God feels about us. And, and we confuse the two. Uh, we struggle to believe that when he sees us, that when he sees me, that when he sees you, that he sees us as the New Testament describes it, he sees us as justified, that we have been justified by faith, not our performance, not our morality, not the boxes that we've checked, not all the I's that we've dotted or the T's that we've crossed, that by faith we have been justified, that by the finished work of Christ and the faith in Christ's work on the cross and in his resurrection, that when we place our faith in what Christ did, that we have been justified because of that confidence in God. And justified simply means that when God sees you and God sees me, it's just as if I have never sinned. It's just as if you've never sinned. And it's even better than that. He also looks at us in the same way at the same time, and it's just as though we've always obeyed. Now, we don't think about that, and we should. Uh, We should rest in that. We should find joy in that. We should find peace in that. We should let that wash over us, and we should just all just sit here for just a moment, and we should just let that sink in, that when God sees you and God sees me and God sees us, that if you've placed your faith in Christ, he sees you as justified, just as if you've never sinned and just as if you have always obeyed. Now, there's a lot of freedom in that to consider that God, that when he looks at you, that's how he thinks of you. That's how he sees you. That when God looks at me, that's how he thinks of me. That's how he sees me. He sees us as sons and daughters that can do nothing to make him love us more and we can do nothing to make him love us less. He isn't angered when sinners struggle with sin because he's not surprised by that. We talked about that in week one. He knows us and he knew us before our lives even started. Nor is he surprised when sinners struggle with sin. Um, One of my favorite verses, and I think it probably should be one of yours as well. It's found in Psalm 103 at verse 14. And there the psalmist says that God, our heavenly father, he knows our frame. 
He remembers that we are but dust. In other words, he knows what we're made of. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're prone to failure. But even though he knows our limitations and he remembers that we are but human, he also at the same time, he knows your capacity. He knows my capacity. He knows our potential. He knows your potential. And because God knows that you're human and because God knows that I'm human and he knows that we live in a sinful fallen world and he knows that we're gonna fail and he knows that we're gonna stumble and he knows that we're gonna step outside of the lines and we're gonna fumble our faith and from time to time we're gonna doubt and from time to time we're gonna be a disaster. He knows that. He knows our limitations, but he also knows our capacity. He also knows our potential. And that's why God won't ever give up on you. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, What God can't do, God can't give up on you. God won't give up on you. God knows who you are and that's good news because the one who knows you best loves you most. God knows who you are and God knows one day who you will be. God knows one day who I will be. And so God knows who I am today. God knows who I was yesterday. God knows who I was when he found me. God knows who you were when he found you. But God also knows who one day you will be. And in the meantime, uh, God is working in us and God is working on us and God is working around us and God is working through us to develop us into the best version of ourselves. And the best version of ourselves is the version that God has destined us to be, that God has purposed us to be. And and that's what we're going to talk about because the Apostle Paul, he captured this idea in a portion of a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians living in the city of Philippi. Uh, Paul had helped start a church there. So there was a group of people in Philippi that they were converted. They came to faith in Christ. They became followers of Jesus. And and so after Paul left Philippi, uh, after some time, he wrote a letter back to those Christians just to check in and to teach them and to address uh, a, a few different situations. But in the letter uh, that he wrote to the church in Philippi, to these Philippians, uh, he's going to capture this idea that God won't give up on you and God can't give up on you because he wants the Philippians to know that when they came to faith in Christ, that was just the beginning. That was not the end. That was just the beginning. It, It wasn't the finish line of faith. It was actually the starting line of faith, that when they came to faith in Christ, when they gave their heart to Christ, that that was the beginning of a journey that would take them from who they were when God found them to ultimately who God was going to make them to be ultimately. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, I am confident of this, being confident of this, that he, and he being God, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it out, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, So this is Paul, he's encouraging these believers to know that, hey, you've started what is a journey. You've started what is a race. You've started what is a long marathon. You're just getting started. And I'm confident, I'm confident that God who began a good work in you, when you came to faith, God started a good work in you. And he's gonna carry on this work until it is completed. And it's gonna be completed on the day of Christ Jesus. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message, he articulates it this way. He says, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind. This is Paul. There's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work 
in you. And it is a great work. Uh, when you came to faith as a follower of Jesus, uh, you are a son and daughter of God. You're part of God's family that when you came to faith, God started a great work in you. God started a great work in me. And he would keep at it. And he's going to bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Uh, another translation puts it this way, that God began doing a good work in you. And I am sure he will continue it until it is finished when Jesus Christ comes again. And then probably my favorite is the New Living. And in the New Living, uh, this is the way the editors captured Paul's words. Paul says, I am certain, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus Return. So when you read these verses and you hear them in all these different translations, the one thing that is absolutely clear is the confidence of Paul. He says, I'm confident, I'm persuaded, I am certain, I am certain that God started a great work in you. And I am confident that God will continue this great work in you until it is finished. He says, I'm confident of that. I am certain. Now, this is what's so important, and, and this is what's so good for you and so good for me. Uh, Paul's confidence is not in the Philippians. Uh, Paul's confidence is not in his friends there in Philippi. It, it's not in these individual men and women and these children who've come to faith in Christ. That's not where his confidence is. His confidence is not in the Philippians. His confidence is not in these human beings that follow Jesus. His confidence ultimately is in God. Now, this is an important distinction because he's not confident that the Philippians are gonna work this stuff out. He's not confident in the men and women that are following Jesus living in Philippi. His confidence and his certainty is not that they themselves are gonna do everything that's necessary to be who God wants them to be. No, his confidence, his certainty, his persuasion, is about God. He says, I'm confident that God has started a great work and I'm confident that God will continue this great work and I'm confident that God will finish this great work. He wasn't placing his confidence on me to get it done. He wasn't placing his confidence on you to get it done. He was placing his confidence on God to get it done. The work that God started in you the work that God started in us, the, God, you know, the work that God started in me, Paul says, I'm confident that God will finish it. This is what he's fully settled on. This is what he's persuaded about. He's not second guessing. He believes that God started something in the lives of those believers that God is gonna continue the work and God is gonna finish the work. His confidence is not on those believers. His confidence is on God working in the lives of those believers. So here's what Paul's basically saying. He says to the Philippians, God is working on you. God is working on you. And this is what Paul, and this is what God is reminding all of us of this morning, that even though you may not see it and you may not feel it, and you, might not, you may not even believe it, but God has been and God is right now in this moment, in this season, no matter what this moment, no matter what this season is like, God is working on you. And you might say, well, working, working on me to do what? what? What is God working to do? To make you and to make me and to make us more like his son, Jesus, to shape our worldview 
to shape our disposition, our attitude, our choices into a greater alignment with who Jesus is and what Jesus taught. Uh, this is what theologians, and maybe you know you heard this word growing up in church, this is, this is referred to as the work of sanctification. Uh, and sanctification is just this really big word that just simply means that God is working in you. God is working on you, around you, over you, under you. God is working through you to make you and to make me and to make us more like Jesus. Now, the New Testament speaks a lot about this. Uh, you, you can find this referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you find Paul writing you know, to the church at Corinth, and he calls it being changed from one level of glory to another. Uh, the New Testament refers to this process of sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus. It refers to it as the perfecting of our faith. It, it refers uh, to it as being conformed to the image of God's Son. Uh, Jesus himself talked about it in the Gospel of John. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and the life that's in the vine is going to be pushed through the branch and expressed through the fruit of the branch. And then he says, without me, you can do nothing uh, because I'm the one doing the work. I'm the one continuing the work. I'm the one who's going to finish the work. Uh, Paul would also call this process, this, this sanctification, this becoming more like Jesus, like we're putting off the old man, like we're changing clothes and we're putting on new clothes. We're becoming more like Jesus, the new man, uh, the spirit of God inside of us, that we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us and through us. It's what Jesus called, you know, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following after him. And, and so Paul says, hey, God is working on you. He's bringing about the fruit of his person, the fruit of his spirit in and through your life. He's changing you from glory to glory. He's perfecting your faith. He's conforming you to the image of God's son. He's bringing about the fruit of the vine through you, the branch. You're putting off the old man. You're putting on the new. You're crucified with the Christ, but yet you're living because it's Christ in you and through you. You're denying yourself. You're taking up your cross. He says, listen, this is what God's doing. God is working on you. And, and Paul he saw all of this as a process. He, he saw all of this as something that God was up to. Again, his confidence was not in the Philippians to get this right. His confidence was in God to make this right in the lives of the Philippians. So first thing he says is God is working on you. The second thing that he wants us to know is that God never gives up on you. And, and that's the big idea. You know, uh, God can't do anything. God can't give up on you. God won't give up on you. Uh, God never gives up on you. Even at your worst moment or while you are busy being the worst version of you. God never gives up on you. God won't give up on you. God can't give up on you. Uh, you might give up on you. Uh, I might give up on me. Other people might give up on you. Other people might give up on me, but God never gives up on you. God never gives up on me. God never gives up on us. He never discards us. Matter of fact, you know, I love the picture of what the prophet says that God is the potter and we're the clay and he's working the clay because he's the master potter. And even when the clay doesn't cooperate and even when the clay is not the quality that it needs to be. And even though the clay is not really living out the purpose for which it's intended, the potter does not throw the clay away. God, your heavenly father, he will not discard you. He will not throw you away. He's not like me. He's not like you. When something has used up, it, used up its usefulness, when something's not fulfilling its purpose, you know, we're just tempted to discard it, to leave it behind, to trash it, to stick it in the garbage, you know, put it on a shelf somewhere, lock it away in a closet, put it in storage. But God's not like that. 
He's the potter, you're the clay, and he started a work, he's continuing the work, and he's gonna finish the work. He doesn't keep score, he's not petty, he doesn't walk away, he doesn't abandon his work in us. He doesn't abandon his work on us. Uh, we know, according to the New Testament, that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So when God, when he sees our failures, when he sees our limitations, when he sees our sins, when he sees all of those things, he knows that this is a work in progress. And he does not abandon the work mid-work just because things don't seem to be working out and because you and I happen to not be cooperating as much as perhaps we should be. Now, we think in terms of singularities, uh, and that's the reason so many of us, we walk around feeling defeated rather than victorious, uh, and we feel like we don't belong even though God has called us sons and daughters, because we think in terms of singularities. We magnify our singular sins, our singular choices, our singular decisions. We magnify you know, a singular season of our life, and as we magnify that, we minimize God's love, minimize God's grace, minimize God's forgiveness, minimize you know, God's mercy. We think in terms of singularity. So we get stuck and we get, you know, feelings of defeatedness and discouragement and, and sometimes even self-loathing and self-hatred. And, and we just walk around and, and we question our relationship with God. We question God's love for us. We question how could we be in a relationship with God and fail as much as we do and not as good as we should be. We think in terms of singularities. God thinks in terms of trajectories. Uh, God understands that a singularity does not change the trajectory on which he has your life and my life going. Uh, God thinks in terms of trajectory, not so much where we are, though he knows where we are and he cares about where we are, but he also knows where we're going. He knows where he's taking us. And that's what Paul says. He says, I'm confident that despite the singularities of your life and my life, Despite the seasons of your life and my life, God has us on a trajectory. And God who started a work in you, he's gonna continue it until he finishes it. And then that's the third thing, that God will finish his work on you. God is working on you. God never gives up on you. God will finish his work on you until the day that Jesus returns. Now, <laughs> Um, if you grew up in church, if you grew up in a church maybe like mine, you, you, a lot of times you were just scared to death to think about uh, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, you, you were taught to fear when Jesus comes back. You know, you, you don't want to go out and be sinning when Jesus comes back. You know, uh, especially that was you know like that was that was the approach in, in youth ministry back when I was a student. It's like, hey, you know, don't be out with your girlfriend, don't be out with your boyfriend sinning because if you're out there, you know, sinning, uh, what happens if Jesus shows up while you're in the midst of sinning? You know, how awkward is that going to be? And so, you know, the second coming of Jesus was something that we were, you know, kind of taught to fear or, you know, not really look forward to. But Paul says, don't fear the, the coming of Christ. Don't, don't fear when he returns again because it's then that he will complete his work in your life. It is then that you're gonna be made completely flawless, completely perfect. You're gonna have a, a new body. Uh, you're gonna have a resurrected body. You're gonna live in a new world. Uh, all your weaknesses and all of your struggles and all of the limps and all the failures and all the insecurities and all the sin and all the defeat, all of that is going to pass away. And all things, including you and including me, we are going to become new. 
And on that day, God will finish his work on you and God will finish his work on me. And when he comes again, I will be made perfect in his likeness. Uh, And that's what Paul says to keep in mind. That's why you should be optimistic. That's why you should look forward to that day because you are on a trajectory and on the end of that trajectory is Christ's second coming. And when Christ comes again, you are gonna be made new and you're gonna be made perfect. So today, this morning, we're just a fraction of what we will one day be. And God says, that's okay. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not, we're not there yet, but I'm taking my time. I'm taking my time. It's okay. I'm taking my time. And here's the thing. We don't think of God in these terms, but God, God is presented as the God who's cheering us on every step of the way. Like, you can do this. You got this. Come on. And when we fall down, he's rooting for us to get back up. And, you know, he's cheering you on every step of the way. And that's not the image. Uh, many of us walk around with God. Uh, we see God is sitting up there waiting for us to mess up, waiting for us to fail, waiting for us to fall, always looking with a disapproving look, you know, angry, upset, disappointed, frustrated. And, and we project that on God because oftentimes that's how we feel about ourselves. But the idea that God is cheering you on and God is confident as he cheers you on because God knows that he started a work, he's continuing to work, and one day he's going to complete the work. And so God knows that we're all in this this process and every step in your life and in my life and along our journeys, every step has purpose behind it. Uh, John, uh, one of the followers of Jesus, uh, he wrote about this in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, right now, right now at this moment, we are the children of God, but it does not yet appear what one day you shall be. It does not yet appear what one day I shall be, but we know that when Christ appears, that we shall be made like him. So again, don't forget this because this is a big deal. This this is where it becomes practical for you and this is where it becomes practical for me. Paul was not betting on the Philippians. Paul was not betting on me and Paul was not betting on you. He was not betting on us. And it changed the way that Paul saw people. It changed the way that Paul thought about life and the way that people were living their life and perhaps some of the choices that they were making in whatever you know current season of their life that Paul happened to be privy to. Paul wasn't betting on them because if Paul was betting on them, that would open the door to being frustrated with them, uh, to getting impatient with them, frustrated with them. But Paul was not betting on them. Paul was betting on God. And Paul says, I am confident that it's God who started this work. It's God who's gonna continue the work and God is gonna finish the work. Now, this is, this is the mentality, this is the framework, this is the perspective that I need to embrace, that you need to embrace as it relates to the way that we see each other. Don't bet on me and I won't bet on you. Don't bet on the person beside of you. Don't bet on the person in front of you. Don't bet on the person behind you. Don't bet on other followers of Jesus, but bet on God. Place your confidence on God that for those who follow Jesus, God is working, God is continuing to work, and God one day will perfect the work. In other words, we are all in process. I'm not there yet. 
You're not there yet, and guess what? There's, there's, none of us are there yet. And you can think of some people who are further ahead than others and people who are further behind than others, but we're not there yet. We're all in process. And it's a good reminder. It's a great reminder. And this is, this is really part of what Paul was saying. It's a good reminder and a better reason not to judge one another on our current chapter or this current season that we might be in, or even the current chapters leading up to this current season or this current chapter that we're in, especially in light of the fact that the book is not even finished yet. Paul says, listen, don't judge one another and don't condemn one another and don't lose faith because of what other people may or may not do. Don't allow yourself to get frustrated. Don't bet on people. Bet on God to work in the life of his people because God promises that no matter what the story has looked like and no matter what the chapter is at the moment, God promises for those who belong to him that the ending it's gonna be great. That God who started a good work, he will continue it. Even when it seems like he's not working, he is working. And even when you can't see him working in somebody else's life, God says, I am working in somebody else's life. We're all in process. So God promises a great end for your story, for my story, and even for the stories of people who may frustrate you or disappoint you along your journey of faith. Uh, the fact of the matter is sometimes we just can't see in real time the progress that God is making through the process of somebody's life. So what does this mean? It means I'm not there yet, neither are you, so let's all cut each other some slack along the way. Let's not bet on each other. Don't bet on me, I won't bet on you. But let's place our confidence that God is working on you, in you, through you. God is working on me, in me, and through me. And God is gonna continue to do it. He's not gonna give up on you. He's not gonna give up on me. He's not gonna give up on them. Let's remind ourselves that the process is gonna be different for each of us. That you may run at a better pace than I do. At times, I may have a faster pace than you do. Uh, sometimes I may fall down and you're able to keep on running. Good for you. Uh, sometimes I may have to walk while you're running or sometimes you may have to walk while I'm running. We're all at a different pace. That's part of the process. But when we're confident, that when we're confident though, that God, no matter how things look and no matter how things seem, when we're confident that God is at work, it helps us see one another and it helps us see the life that each of us are living a bit differently. And it keeps us from giving up on each other. And I think that's what Paul would remind us all of this morning. Hey, don't give up on you and don't give up on anybody else. Put your confidence in God to do the work that he says that he's busy doing. And always, always have hope and always have a confident hope that the best is yet to come. Not only for you, but for others and for me, no matter how disappointing you may be to you or I may be to you or somebody else may be to you, no matter how deep the failure that someone else may be currently going through, Always be hopeful that the best is yet to come because the one who started the work will continue it and he will complete it. So let's not, let's not give up on each other. Let's not condemn each other. Let's not discard each other. Uh, James Boyce, he caught this uh, in, in some of his writings. He says, how clearly 
this strikes at the heart of attitudes that divide us from each other. We separate ourselves from others because we believe they are on the right track and we're on the right one. Uh, They believe wrong or they do things we regard as wrong and we completely lose sight of the fact that God is as much at work in them as he is in us. Oh, that we might have confidence in God's work in each other. And I would say yes and amen to that. Let's not lose confidence in God's work as it relates to his work in your life and my life and everybody else's life. He says, if we did, we would not see each other as those whom to separate ourselves lest we be contaminated, but as those from whom we can learn and whom we can help along the way. That's the type of thinking we need. That's what makes the church so special when we know that we're not placing our confidence on one another. I am human. You are human. We have human limitations. We struggle with sin in this life. So we're not going to make sure, we're not going to have every step be exactly the way it's supposed to be. So let's not lose confidence that God is at work, uh, just because it doesn't seem as though God is at work. Uh, this type of thinking, you know, keeps us from getting bent out of shape when other people fail or other people mess up or other people spin out or just are going through a disastrous season of their life. This also helps us not to beat ourselves up uh, when we're going through one of the worst seasons of our life. It, it helps us not to write ourselves off because we know that God doesn't write us off and God hasn't given up on us. Uh, this type of thinking allows us to go forward whether regarding ourselves or our relationship with others, it allows us to go forward with hope and with joy and with peace, knowing that God, that God is going to finish the work. So back to Paul. Uh, Paul, he, he continues this idea and he picks it back up in the next chapter. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important Work hard because this is hard work. The process isn't easy. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Uh, Older translation says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, Not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. Work out what God has been working in. And Paul says, listen, this is just not all God's work. We, we also have to cooperate. We also you know, have to put effort in, but still, The confidence that Paul has is not in the lives of the Philippians to do this. It's in God uh, because he goes on and he says, for God is working in you. It's God. That's where my confidence at. When it comes to you, Paul would say, my confidence is not in you. Don't don't be offended by that. Uh, Don't be upset by that. Don't take it the wrong way. My confidence is in God working in you. Um, Paul says, so don't place your confidence in other people, place your confidence in God working in other people. For God is working in you, giving you, listen to this, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Willingness comes before the doing, but God is the one who both gives the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We have everything we need to be who God wants us to be, who God's called us to be. We lack nothing. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we're told it lives in me and it lives in you. And so Paul says, it's God, he's working in you. He's given you both the desire and the power to be more like Jesus, to get it right. So when you step outside the line and and you don't wanna do that next time, that's God working in you and through you. Paul says, this is God's work. 
This is, this is God's activity. This is God's responsibility. Um, so what does this look like when, when we're living a life that pleases God? Well, to borrow Paul's own words from another letter, uh, he says, the fruit of the spirit, you know, God, he's the vine, we're the branch. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, that's where, that's where God's taken us. This is what God's working in and working out in your life and mine. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And one day we will be a perfect picture of that, but not now. He's working in us. He's continuing the work and one day he will perfect it. And when he perfects it, we will be a picture of who he is because Jesus is love, he's joy, he's peace, he's forbearance, he's kindness, he's goodness, he's faithfulness, he's gentleness, he's self-control. And one day as he is, we will be. So in the meantime, we claim the promise, we trust the process, we steward the purpose. We claim the promise, we trust the process, we steward the purpose. Um, Whatever's happening, whatever's not happening. I claim the promise, God is at work in me, God is at work in you, and he will fulfill the work. I trust the process. I'm not gonna rebel against it, I'm not gonna resist it, I'm not gonna grow frustrated at myself or somebody else because it's a process. And we're not where God is ultimately taking us yet. God uses life, he uses your life, my life, other people's life, and all that comes with it uh, to work in and through our life. So don't lose joy and don't lose hope in the process as it relates to you or anybody else. Don't give in to worry or fear or stress or condemnation or judgment or self-righteousness along the way. It's a process. Uh, life is a series of steps, so keep moving forward. Don't stop, don't quit. Don't overestimate the moment and underplay the value of years. Uh, don't obsess about singularity, think about trajectory. Sometimes the process takes time. It takes time to get us to where God wants to take us. So when you feel discouraged, trust the process. When you feel defeated, trust the process. Remember that God put people like Job through a process, people like Peter who followed him and then denied him. And then God put him in charge of the church. It was a process. James, the half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe in his own brother until after the resurrection. Or Paul who, you know, persecuted Christians, imprisoned Christians, uh, was responsible for the death of Christians. Uh, but God brought him to faith and God continued to work on him. It's it's a process. Steward the purpose then of the process that God is making you into whom he wants you to be. He's making you into a greater portrait of his son, Jesus. So you claim the promise, you trust the process, you steward the purpose, and you run your race. I run my race. As the writer of Hebrews would say, therefore, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Your race may not look like mine, mine may not look like yours, but run it with perseverance. Don't quit your race and don't give up on anybody else running their race. You might be killing it right now. You may be in a great season right now. Somebody else may be in a dark season right now, but you run your race no matter what, and you run it with perseverance because God has a race lined out for you. And as you run your race, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. In other words, you've got a race to run. Don't quit running that race. God has made a promise that he started a work in you. He's gonna continue it. He's gonna finish it one day. But in the meantime, you're in process. I'm in process. We're all in process. So don't give up on you. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on me because God won't give up on you. He won't give up on them and he won't give up on me. Matter of fact, the New Testament reminds us over and over again in so many different ways that God gave up his only son to prove he'd never give up on me. He gave up his only son to prove he'd never give up on you. He will finish his work and he will finish the work one day when Christ comes again. So in the meantime, don't give up on you. Don't give up on others because God doesn't. One day, you will be as God ultimately destined you to be. But in the meantime, life's a race. It's a process. And he's working on you. And he's working on me. And he won't ever stop because he can't give up on you. And he can't give up on me. So let's not give up on each other. Let's not give up on ourselves. Let's put our confidence on God, the one who started a good work, who will continue it, and bring it to a perfect fulfillment at the time that he has destined it to happen when Christ comes again. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Remind us that when we look in the mirror, uh, that we don't have to see ourselves as failures or defeated, but as victors and as conquerors, as sons and daughters loved by God, And no matter what the chapters of our life has looked like, and no matter what it may look like in the moment, God, remind us that you're writing a story where you have promised at the very end, we will be who you have destined us to be. So God, don't let us give up on ourselves and don't let us give up on each other because we place our confidence on you that you can't give up on us and you won't give up on us. And we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name.